Things are going too well for Paul and Barnabas after their first missionary journey. Too well for the enemy's taste. And in this passage of Scripture that we have read this morning, we see a counterattack. Look back with me again at verse 1. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Goodbye, free grace. Goodbye to the gospel, if this is the case. The Judaizers weren't denying salvation, but they were simply saying that it was grace plus. And people are still doing that today. That it's grace plus so and so. That it's grace plus this. The Judaizers were saying it was grace plus circumcision plus the Old Testament law of Moses. That is the, the equivalent of throwing a wet blanket over a fire. That's what we do to young converts so many times. We say, well, you've almost got it. But there's a couple of more things that you have to do to make you more like me before you really have it. And we throw a wet blanket on those who have accepted the gospel and many times they leave the church never to return. This was a point of division here in this passage of Scripture today with Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse 2 again and it says, After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So off they go to Jerusalem to deal with this matter. And when they got there, they find that the Judaizers are, are very well entrenched, that the people who are of this opinion, they're large in number most likely. And they weren't evil men. They weren't bad people. They were just Pharisaic. They were the product of their upbringing. They had been raised a certain way, and now this gospel of grace and mercy, this message of, of Jesus is causing a civil war within their soul. Because of the way they were raised and the upbringing that they had, it's hard for them to, to, to distinguish between the two. R. Kent Hughes said that though Christians, they could not bring themselves to give away centuries of distinctives that had set their people apart from the world. So with good intentions, they thrust those distinctives and traditions onto others. Paul and Barnabas realized that they weren't bad people, but if something wasn't done, they would, they would be pulled away from the doctrine of grace. They would be pulled away from this true gospel that they had received from the gift of Christ. One author said that history and experience have proven that anything made a co-requirement with faith soon shoves faith aside and becomes the means of salvation. This doctrine of salvation by circumcision was what they were beginning to preach. And if it had been allowed to continue, it wouldn't have been long before a church would have popped up and it would have been the first Christian church of the circumcision. It would have happened. There would have been a whole new gospel that was being preached and it would not have been the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas realized as this was happening here in the early part of, of chapter 15 that, that the truth of the gospel was at stake in Jerusalem and they were leaders and they would not stand for it. So they headed back to Jerusalem. They got back and they began to talk to the people and we see several things take place in this passage of Scripture that I want to point out to you this morning. And the first that I see is Peter's speech. We see Peter stand up, uh, the, the rock of the church, the one who Christ had said, upon this rock I will build my church. 
Peter stands up and he begins to teach. And he begins to give some words of wisdom. This council has convened. These elders and apostles of the church have come together and the Scripture says there was intense debate. Sounds like a church business meeting, doesn't it? They were debating, they were, they were arguing, they were trying to figure these things out. And Peter had had enough of it, he couldn't sit still any longer. And the first thing that he told them, he said, I want you to understand that God makes no distinction between the Gentiles and us Jews. Look back in chapter 15 at verse 7 and let's read together. Verse 7 says this, <clears throat> And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. He was referencing here in this portion of Scripture, He was referencing Cornelius and his household. And he was reminding that, that, that gathering there that day of what had happened when the gospel first went to the Gentiles. When it left the people of, 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 of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, and it was now being taken to the Gentile people. And that it was Scripture being fulfilled. It was the gospel going to people. Peter makes a pronouncement in verse 10. He says, why are you... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter was saying, why do you saddle them with the law when we couldn't even keep it ourselves? Galatians 3 and verses 23 through 25 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law and imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The Scripture teaches that God sent His Son to fulfill the law. And now we are under a new covenant. A covenant of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Peter summarizes Everything here in verse 11. Look with me at the Scriptures. It says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they all will. Peter says, Grace alone is what we teach. Grace alone is how we carry the Gospel to those who haven't heard. Every person... Every person sitting here today, every person that's in this community, every person that is in your family, every person in this world, whether rich or poor, black or white, young or old, male or female, we all come to Jesus Christ in the same way, and that is by the way of the cross. And the message of the cross is a message of grace. It's undeserved. It's God's kindness that we didn't earn that nothing that we have done merits. It is His grace and His grace alone. Verse 12 in Acts chapter 15 says, And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I see a, an important principle right there in that passage of Scripture. When, when we listen, we learn. And there was more learning left to do here 
This event is not over. This gathering of leaders has not ended. Paul and Barnabas tell the assembly that day what God had done through their missionary journey. How God had performed signs and wonders through them and how through the power of the Holy Spirit they took the gospel and people were set free and saved. But then James, the brother of Jesus, decides to stand up and share some wisdom. And now we see James's speech. He was called James the Just because of his piety. He was a, a pillar of the church, a leader of the church. We know that from Paul's letters to the Galatians. Some people have referred to him as the first bishop of Jerusalem. And I can imagine as he stood up in that gathering that day that the Judaizers who were there were surprised when they heard what he had to say. Surely this, this leader, this man of, of, of the Jews, a Jew among Jews, a leader in the church, surely he'll agree with us. But James had a different message that day for the assembly. He said, I want you to know, guys, that this is the Old Testament being fulfilled, that this was written long ago. It says in verse 14, read it with me. <clears throat> Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this words, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. James said this is Scripture being fulfilled. God's people were to consist of two groups. The Scriptures speak of the tent of David that refers to the people of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But then he says the Gentiles when he refers to the remnant of mankind, that this gospel will not be for just the Jews alone, it will be for the Gentiles, it will be for all people. Everything that was happening was just as Scripture had foretold. And now James weighs in with his pronouncement on the whole matter. And this is the heart of the whole scene. Look with me at verse 19. He says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath." in the synagogues. James had advice for both of the groups that were represented in that gathering. To the Jewish believers, he said, lay off these new Gentile Christians. Don't saddle them with unnecessary rules of the law that you have followed for so long because it does not apply to them. And for the Gentiles, he gave three specific instructions. He says, stay away from anything that has to do with idols. He said, avoid sexual immorality, fornication. He said, do not partake of meat that has been strangled or has blood in it. Why these three restrictions? What did they mean? What was, what was so important about these things that he would feel it necessary to require these things? Well, R. Kent Hughes has said that there was to be no idolatry because there is only one true God and only He is to be worshipped. Fornication was forbidden in all cases because fornication was at that time rampant among the Gentiles. But he writes, why the third restriction? For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath, verse 21. In other words, Jewish communities existed in nearly every city 
And the Gentile converts were not to do anything that would offend the Jews' religious scruples. As we see this, this formula that James is putting forth for the Gentiles and for the Jews, we see two principles that are there that he offers to us today to help us be people of grace, people who are passionate about grace-filled living. As those under grace, first of all, we're not to make non-biblical requirements of others. James is saying, don't foist this Jewish lifestyle on the Gentiles. It's not for them. They don't know that system. That system is no longer a, a, a part of what needs to be applied to them. For us today, this means that if it isn't spelled out in Scripture, we're not to make a requirement for Christianity. We're not to be people who are worried about making cookie-cutter Christians, who are worried about what it takes to be a good Christian, to be more like me and my congregation, my following. We're not to push our preferences because if we do, we become like these Judaizers. If we say, well, you can't have that kind of music or you can't have uh, this kind of, of service. It can't be contemporary. It has to be traditional. You have to dress this way and you can't... No. Scripture is saying we can't do that. If it's not spelled out in Scripture, we're not to push our preferences. This attitude is deadly for a church. The second thing that I see is that because we're under grace, we gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. There was nothing wrong with one of the Gentile brothers going home that evening and throwing a, a ribeye on the grill, cooking it up nice and medium rare. Matter of fact, I did it Friday night. I'll be honest with you. I love a ribeye. There was nothing wrong with that. That wasn't a sin in and of itself. But what James is saying is don't do it for the sake of your Jewish brothers. If you know it will offend them, stay away from it in their presence. Don't do that around them. Paul would later write the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verses 19 through 21, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, Paul writes, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. James's pronouncement echoed those sentiments that Paul would write later to the church at Corinth. And that pronouncement that he uttered that day to the gathering, the council there in Jerusalem, that pronouncement carried the day. And it spoke to the hearts of those there. And the third and final thing that we see this morning is the council's proclamation. The council's proclamation. Look with me beginning in verse 22 at what they had to say. It reads, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, 
although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, them, <coughs> we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The council that day drafted a letter. And it was a letter that was to be sent with Paul and Barnabas and taken back to Antioch. One author wrote, he said that the council's proclamation has been called one of the most courageous documents in the annals of history. Because its authors declared the truth even though they knew it would fully antagonize the Jewish establishment. From this time on, Christian work in Jerusalem became very difficult. While still trying to carry on a ministry to the Jewish nation, the apostles heroically refused to do or say anything to impede the progress of the gospel among the Gentiles. Brave men. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. What does all this mean? For us this morning? What does this story have for us that we need to apply to our church and our life today? Well, as I close this morning, I want to share two things with you. The first thing is that we must preach grace alone. Our salvation comes only through the grace of Jesus Christ that He has offered to us freely. There is nothing that we could do, there is no requirement that we are to meet only. The grace of God offers that gift to us. It is His work. It is His plan. It's His grace. And it's His mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is His work. It is His grace. And the second thing that I see that we should apply to our ministries and our lives today is that we should tolerate nothing else. It is grace alone. It is God's gift. Our Kent Hughes said that grace is risky and it can be abused, but it must not be rejected because it is the gospel grace. It is the grace of God that sustains us. It is the grace of God that empowers our lives. Understand and hear this morning, church, the gift that you've been given, this eternal life, this salvation, this relationship with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, is nothing but grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we are encouraged by Your Word. Help us today, Lord, to see any way in which we may be mixing the law with Your grace. Any false standards we're imposing on others, any conditions we're placing on our acceptance of them, 
It is grace and it is grace alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith and it's not of our own doing. There is nothing we could do to obtain this gift. No amount of work we could do. No amount of right living. It is the gift of God, Scripture says. Not a result of works so that no one would boast. We cannot boast in it ourselves. We did not save ourselves. We did not clean ourselves up. We did not cleanse ourselves from sin. Only the blood of Christ has done that. Only the gift of grace has made that available to us. Forgive us this morning, Lord, for times when we may have pushed our preferences on others extra-biblical understandings or, or doctrines or ideas that have nothing to do with salvation. Cleanse us this morning, Lord. Restore in us right thinking, a right mindset, centered on, on Your Word and Your teachings. And Lord, shower us once again with Your grace and with Your love and with Your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen.